Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey, it's Scott, and welcome back to another episode of Lip Service. The show is coming to you somewhat live today from Zeroban, my buddy Scott Sartiano's place, Soho, New York, at Zeroban. It's an exclusive private members club, which I love. I hang out here all the time while I'm in New York. New York is back, people. New York is not dead. Whoever told you that is wrong. It's coming back. It feels great to be back here. I'm here for about a month or so and excited to bring you my next guest, who's an indie artist that meshes hip-hop, electronic music, and alternative. She is Kay Flay. She's got a new record coming out, a new EP, actually, June 11th. She's going to perform a few songs for us, which is amazing. She actually got nominated for two Grammys which is incredible. And she's an all around amazing talent. So excited to have her here. Kay Flay coming up in just a moment on Lip Service, coming to you somewhat live from New York. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Our show today is brought to you by the fine folks at Thursday's Boot Company. You guys have seen me rocking these boots in every other picture I have on Instagram. I'm always repping them. Thursday's Boots is a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. Thursday's Boots tagline is highest quality, honest prices because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather, supple glove leather lining, and gold standard Goodyear welt construction. Thursday's Boot Company sells their boots at prices starting at just $149 with free shipping and returns. They've been featured in all the best fashion press, from Esquire to GQ to Cosmo and Vogue. And more, more importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Thursday's boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup for great-looking pair of boots that are built to last. So check them out at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. My favorite shoes, my favorite boots. You always see me repping them. You'll love it. Hey, howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. My guest today is an indie artist that defies genres. Kay Flay, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. By the way, I heard you're a huge fan of podcasts. So I want to know, first and foremost, which podcasts can you turn me on to? I heard you talk about the Obama Springsteen one, but uh, tell me oh, more. Um, okay, well, my all-time favorite podcast is called Heavyweight. Are you familiar with that at all? I am not, but what's it about? Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> well, this is, I don't want to take over this whole conversation, but essentially um, Jonathan Goldstein is the host and it's about every episode. He helps somebody like just a person resolve an unresolved conflict from their past that for whatever reason has weighed heavily on their like conscious conscience or their spirit or whatever. Um, so like there's really interesting one there's actually a music one music related one where like the dude who gave moby a bunch of cds that he then sampled for his big record play and never got credited like, for and he never got them back oh. he never got <laughs> he never got them back he lent them to him and so they like straight up go to moby's house wow and, like, and they confront him Mm -hmm. That's amazing. By the way, does that apply to you? Do you have any unresolved issues that we can tackle? <laughs> I mean, we want to get into your life story. We want to talk about your new record. You're actually going to perform like two songs, which is great. And I'm super excited about that. But uh, and we this show is really about your life story. Okay, so we'll get into that. But any any stories that are unresolved for you that we can get into like that podcast? Ooh. I mean, this this is interesting. Uh, 
this this has come up in the context of the, this new song I have out called Four Letter Words, um, where I, it reminded me of, so when I was, I guess about seven, I got a mushroom cut, like a haircut. Sure. To, to like match my brother and and I was seven and so I like I, you know I looked like a little boy yeah. and people would like we'd, we'd go to like little Caesars or whatever to pick up pizza and people would be like okay young man and I'd be like I'm not a young man I'm a young girl um, and I'd get I'd get really upset and there was this um, older kid on the playground who would make fun of me just this one kid, no one else cared, just this one kid. Yeah. And I, I told my mom about it and she was like, you know what? Anytime he comes up to you and he says something like that, just inside your head, you just say, go to hell and you walk away. And in some ways, so this memory <laughs> came up because I think this, this song, Four Letter Words, it's a version of that. It's just kind of saying, you know what? Like, fuck you, go to hell. Now I'm gonna go just do my shit. I'm gonna like, express yeah. that um in a safe way and then i'm gonna move along and and live my life and i think so it's a shout out to my mom she it took like you know decades but she inspired this song in a certain way <laughs> it would be great to find that guy and confront him on the show well right and so that's you know what's <laughs> interesting though i can't um i can't remember his name he was like an older kid you know he so, was like yeah. one of those mysterious like fifth graders who i had no idea who he was <laughs> When we have you back on the show, we're going to actually track him down and confront him. And, but talk to me about your path and your journey. It's such an interesting one. By the way, are you calling me from L.A.? Yes, yes. Awesome. I'm so this is your studio. LA. It looks great. looks like you're recording your record there almost. You've got a bunch of guitars behind you, which is awesome. How'd you do in the pandemic? Did you, Obviously, you created a lot of music because we're going to talk about your new EP, which drops, I think, uh, June 11th, I believe, yes, right? Yes, correct. And so we'll get into that whole thing. But first, I guess, before that whole thing, let's talk about you grew up in the Midwest, right? Mm -hmm. And were yeah. you around music a lot as a kid? I, I think your dad was a guitar player. Yeah, so I, I sort of have a... I don't know if it's unconventional, but um, uh, trajectory with music, but I, I, I grew up around music. I, I have two fathers. I have a biological father and then another father who raised me and adopted me. Um, my biological father loved music. Um, and I think if he had had the opportunity, would have loved to be better at guitar and play it on stage. Uh, okay. But he he taught me sort of like rudimentary rhythm guitar uh that i would play while he drunkenly noodled around essentially right. and i <laughs> so that kind of gave me this like foundation but i didn't i didn't do anything with it um and it, was it wasn't necessarily a passion of yours either right no not at all i was like uh, school sports i was very like regimented and kind of high achieving in a sort of typical way I guess. Yeah, because um, you, it's almost like you became a late bloomer later in life with music, right? It wasn't until I think you were actually in college and then yeah. it was sort of, I, I believe it was like spoken word rap and almost almost like rap parody where you started, right? So kind of tell us a story about how that all started for you later in life. Yeah, I was, so I was in, I was in college, uh, as you say, and I was, you know, just like real serious about my studies and I loved, I loved being in school. Uh, absolutely loved it. And I got, you know, at the same time, I was being sort of exposed to all this new music. Uh, this was a, at a time when there was lots of file sharing going on. College campuses are such crazy breeding grounds for the sharing of music and the yeah. sharing of taste, you know, and so I'm listening to all this like West Coast rap. I'm listening. I'm hearing UK rap for the first time. I'm hearing like Dizzy Rascal and Wiley for the first time, just feeling like literally like I'm like the mind blown emoji person. Yeah. I'm just I, like, did you hear the streets? Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Great, great. Love the streets. Yeah. And it, I think it it cracked open something inside of me where you know, I was hearing all this great music. I was hearing different music on the radio, feeling fairly disturbed by the difference. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and was like, well, you know, like, kind of like F this stuff that's on the radio, like I could write that. And my, a friend of mine was like, 
okay, yeah, why don't you go and do that? And that essentially began my music career. Um, so <laughs> I started just writing songs really as jokes. And then just to sort of prove to your friend that you could do this, but yeah. you had also been listening to stuff, I believe, like Saul Williams and spoken mm -hmm. word, right? Hip hop, because that had a play in, in how you started to create music, too, I believe. Right. Totally. And yeah. I was really, really fascinated by and, and continue to be fascinated by wordplay in particularly in long form lyrics. And I think, you know, obviously, like hip hop spoken word. If you look at the lyrics for that those songs it's, it's a lot of there's yeah. a lot of content and so there's there's all these opportunities to to really play with that and that was my starting point and um yeah you know you mentioned this kind of late bloomerness i i've always been a late bloomer and it was i developed this hobby in college and then after college i was sort of figuring out what i was going to do i was living in san francisco and these opportunities kept coming up, you know, like, hey, you want to open up a show? You want to do this? And I just kept saying yes. And I kept getting better and I kept getting more invested and sort of emotionally connected to music. And, and this was just you and a microphone. Were you like, was it to track? I mean, because when you were opening up these shows, what was it? Because actually later in life, I saw you perform with just a drummer. And I want to talk to you about that because I don't know if you know, but I'm a drummer. And uh, yes, yes. I don't think I'd seen a lot of like acts, just the singer and the drummer. Um, I'm, I'm very friendly with the kills. So I would always like give them a hard time. I'm like, when are you guys going to get a drummer? <laughs> and eventually they broke down and Jamie was like, all right, no more drum machines. We're going to have two drummers now. But, but I want to talk to you about that, but, but kind of rewinding a bit. So when you were opening up these shows, okay, was it just, was it you to attract? Cause you got into this crew, right? Of your friends that were like in the Bay area, like starting to do all these gigs and whatnot. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. So I, you know, my show, we can think of it as sort of an ever expanding operation. Um, and I think it's probably reached, I, I don't know how many people I really need on stage at this point, but uh, when I began, yeah, it was me, basically usually me, uh, a sampler of some type. I used um, Native Instruments Machine for a long time uh, where I could loop and I could sam I could trigger samples and I'm, I'm running Ableton. So there, there are some tracks, there's some live sampling. I have an electric guitar and I am rapping and singing and like lightly humiliating myself, I think on some <laughs> level, you know, just like I was so green. I didn't know what yeah. I was doing. Um, but I have to tell you, I did it with incredible passion. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and, in, and incredible, I, I, this actually came up yesterday at a dinner, like how much delight I, I took in the creation and performance of music and how much delight I continue to find in this, in this career and in this exercise that I find it on some level just truly delightful that any of this can happen. Well, you must have had encouragement because obviously you kept going. So you probably knew at a certain point you were onto something, I would imagine. And I don't even know who your role yeah. models were back then because obviously we talked about Saul Williams. I know you're a, a Karen O fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And did you have other like female artists, role models that you were looking up to? I, I think you might know I played drums with Courtney Love. So I don't know if people like Courtney and obviously Karen O and, you know, I don't know, the Breeders. I don't know who were some of your inspirations when you were getting into because it, it's a high, it was a hybrid type of approach you were taking where it was like hip hop, but also electronica and alternative music too. Yeah. You know, I think at that time in my development, I sort of had a few big inspirations who were all female, either solo artists or front people. And I think honestly, one of the biggest ones was Santa Gold. Mm, Santa and I think you know, because I, I remember he, that's one of those records I remember I, where, I, where I was when I heard it for the yeah, first time. Yeah. And, and I felt I felt like, oh, this is the kind of thing that I want to do. It's different because she, there's these like dub elements and yeah. these other things that aren't what I do. But I see her like just being so her. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I felt very similarly with the first three MIA records. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt really, really inspired by those. I listened to a lot of Missy Elliott as well in that time period. And although, you know, she's a little bit more strictly in kind of like a hip hop, R and B at, at times, uh, genre, her, her originality, her sheer originality and creativity and personality was so cool to me. And, you know, the other record that was the big, big, big influence on me was Liz Fair's first record, Mm. Exile in Guyville, which sonically very different, but, uh, she played a live show at the, I guess the 15th anniversary of that record that I went to at the Fillmore in San Francisco. And it was one of the most, uh, impactful shows of my life. I was just, uh, you know, finishing college and I saw her up there being both like super vulnerable and, um, super, super competent at the same time. And I was like, Oh, I think I could, I think that that feels like me. Yeah. Did you go to Lilith fair? Was that a thing? I I don't remember like what age you might have been when Lilith fair was happening. So I I think I was too young or unaware of it, but I never, I never attended it. No. Because that was sort of a precursor for all these festivals. It was in one of the early adapters of the festival scene, but interesting enough, you obviously felt some encouragement, as I mentioned to your, a lot of your peer group, I would imagine were like, you should do this. And you also felt that it's something you should pursue because you kept going. Um, And, and even though you started as, maybe you started as sort of a parody, but it definitely turned into something. And a lot of the artists that, you just mentioned Sandy Gold, and they were also defying genres, right? Because Sandy Gold mm-hmm. kind of had elements of like alternative music and indie, and, and definitely I can hear elements of that in your music. And at a certain point, you actually get a deal with RCA, right? And I think right. you're still finding your voice during that point. So walk me up to that point and how that happened from just starting out with your friends, just kind of messing around. Yeah, so I was I was at this point, I was living in San Francisco. I was uh, had graduated from college. And I was teaching uh, the GRE, I was teaching GRE classes and SAT classes wow. all around the Bay Area. Um, my, my roommate was selling hot dogs. Like we were just- DIY. We, <laughs> you know. Punk rock. Right. And my parents had moved to Oakland just around then. So I would drive in the daytime and they had like a basement that I could use. They let me use. Um, and set up like a little mic down there. And I just started, you know, make, making stuff. And, yeah. Exactly. Sampling, learning how to program, learning how to record myself. You know, very luckily for me, I began recording my own vocals day one, which has been a really, really powerful uh, asset for me mm. as as a solo artist and a musician because I can you know, I can record my vocals anywhere and I can, uh, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy comping and I enjoy vocal production and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, I put out, I was putting out songs and a a song of mine, uh, that, that actually sampled a grizzly bear song kind of got all this attention. And I had just started working with my manager. Uh, like, you know, I'm his first client like whatever we're just we're just so young so green yeah. and yeah uh labels start calling and it's pretty surreal um yeah like if you're number one on hype machine that's it that's it and all so the that, labels start calling and then before you know it, you get a record deal right which is essentially what happened yeah and you know in retrospect um you know i was so i was so new i was so um, so undeveloped, so raw. And that experience at RCA was, you know, I think, and I'm sure you can relate and know many other artists like this was like, so disorienting and not at the right time for me. Um, yeah, they want to put you with producers. They want you to get into writing sessions to find your voice. Cause you don't have a voice, find your voice. Right. Right. And it's sort of like, no, 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 you do have your voice. You need to just we need to put you somewhere like again by yourself a little bit to develop it but you know in doing all those sessions and meeting a lot of producers you know i'm very much i I watch people 
and I kind of see, oh, oh yeah, right, he's EQing the, okay, he's EQing the low end out of this, huh, that's interesting, okay, I'm going to try that on my keys next, you know, so I'm just sort of like picking things up as I go, and that deal ended, I'd been putting out like mixtapes and EPs and stuff and building a fan base, and uh, I had a, I had a couple weeks of like, oh god, my, my life is, my life is over. What have I done? I've made all these terrible mistakes. And, but then, you know, um, shortly thereafter, cause I also had to give up all the songs I've been working on. Right. Like 60 sort of, songs or something. Right. Yeah. Just had to start fresh. And, yeah. you know, I think it's actually a really, I'd like to say this to anyone listening who might need this, but like, sometimes when you lose your work, whatever that means for you, it, it feels um, it feels sort of like an insurmountable loss, but I think for me and for a lot of people, what it actually affords you is sort of unprecedented liberation. Mm. And that that was the greatest gift I actually could have been given to not be tied to any of this and to just say, okay, start fresh, start fresh. Yeah. What am I? What excites me? What's what's exciting to me? But I did rewind for one second because I do remember, I I think I heard your first session with RCA, they put you in the studio with Pharrell, right? So this must be like, (laughs) I mean, you haven't really done a lot of studio work. You're doing it on your own. You're at home, imagining your parents' basement. And they're like, all right, go in the studio with this guy Pharrell. He's got like, you know, 50 million albums sold (laughs) and 50 million Grammys or whatever, you know, just just have some fun. And you must have been intimidated, I would imagine, as a newer artist, right? Oh my God. I was completely, you know, that whole weekend was just, you know, talk about a fish out of water. I was, I was so overwhelmed and, you know, we, it was also the same weekend that they like, you know, couriered my record deal to the studio, which I think was supposed to make me feel like excited and important, but actually made me feel like humiliated and nervous. And uh, we went out for like a celebratory dinner that night, like an expensive dinner. I was at at that point, it was the most expensive dinner I'd I'd ever had. And we got back to the hotel, it was me and my manager, and I just threw everything up. (laughs) And that, I think if I can encapsulate the experience, that sort of, I just, I was way, way kind of out of my comfort zone and it was a precursor for what's to come i guess right totally and (laughs) it's just like i think you know there are certain artists who right out the gate they just know you know they know they have their vision they have this formed for me i didn't and so to so to go in with a lot you know sort of these these bigger producers who are used to working you know with artists who have that and that's how they thrive and that's how they kind of do their shit you know i was just like a little lump of clay um and i was down to experiment but i didn't have that um i didn't have that compass north that i think you really need uh when you're collaborating with other people in that in that kind of setting yeah, have you gone back and listened to the track you did with Pharrell? No, I lit them on fire and threw them <laughs> in the trash. I actually don't know where they are, to really? be honest with you. Was it that bad or was it just not where you are today musically? It's not where I'm at. They yeah, weren't okay. bad at all. They're actually, they're, I mean, not surprisingly, like Pharrell's yeah. involved. They're cool. Right. Um, but but me, you can hear and I, I, God, I haven't heard them in years, but from my recollection, you can hear in my voice um, that I don't, I don't have confidence, mm. you know, Yeah. on some level. So you're, so you're doing that. And, and at that point, were you, had you made the transition to start singing or were you still rapping? So I was beginning to sing at that, that point, but really still in the experimental phases of that. I mean, I was melody was sort of a part of what I was doing, but I didn't, I didn't know a lot about it. And I hadn't ever really pushed my voice. And I didn't know, I didn't know how people did that. And I didn't, um, I didn't sort of know how to do it myself. And I think, you know, my singing, 
that's been one of the biggest things to development develop excuse me again uh over time is understanding how to use my voice and where i can take it and where you know my sweet spots and all that stuff but that definitely took you know years to to figure that out yeah i'm I'm sure i'm sure and at some point did you lose like confidence when you lost the deal with rca because as an artist you work your whole life it used to be to get a record deal you're like i made it i got a record deal so you know you write you have these 60 songs you lose the songs you're working with pharrell the records you know obviously they don't materialize the way they want them you want them to so how do you feel at that point moving forward are you have you lost sort of the confidence in what you were doing or were you re-inspired you know i think there was a very brief period of confidence loss um but the interesting thing and you know i feel like you you can probably relate to this experience too is that i i'd spent this time at rca touring so i had been perform i had been writing and performing music none of it was like an official record on rca but i'd been putting out material that they were just like, okay, whatever, put it out. We don't care. Um, which I'm grateful for (laughs) and just kind of building this like cult following. I didn't realize that's what I was doing, but that's what I was doing. And so the deal ended. And to me, that felt like the end of the world to those people. They don't even really know. Right. Right. They're just like, they're stoked. When's the next K flight coming out? (laughs) And so I think once I became connected to to their experience and their understanding of the situation in a strange way, I, I was like, oh, yeah, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be losing confidence. I should actually feel kind of fortified and yeah. and inspired because like there's people who are waiting on the next thing and I, I need to give it to them. Um so that that allowed me to to get some perspective and kind of zoom out on my own sense of like pain and failure or whatever and to say that like you know i think this is so true in all aspects of life but like your own personal failure is not even a blip on anyone else's radar so like focusing on it or giving it like kind of an undue importance in your story doesn't doesn't make sense doesn't serve you well and yeah, so I, I think I actually proceeded with, um, maybe almost like a preternatural sense of confidence. Mm. <laughs> despite and you been, you've the been setback. gigging this whole time too, right? And mm-hmm. and I imagine the shows kept getting bigger and bigger. I know at a certain point you got the Warp Tour, which must have been again overwhelming after going. You're just playing clubs and stuff, and then all of a sudden yeah. you're on these huge stages, right? So what was that like getting the Warp Tour and, and that all starting for you in that respect? Well, Warp Tour was a huge, um, you know, for a variety of reasons, which will derail us. But that summer and that tour was a if I if I look back, that was a real shift for me. So a big shift in two ways. First way. I consider that that was my basic training for being like a road dog. That was when I learned like, okay. if I'm going to make it out here in this, in this business, I need to be indestructible, you know, and I need to be super resilient and super adaptable. And I need, I need to really on stage, have fun, be passionate and be vulnerable. Mm. And I'm not just I'm not just performing a song. I'm like I'm I'm reliving experiences and I'm helping other people connect to that vulnerability. And Definitely. you know, and I'm doing it without fog and it's bright out and it's fucking a hundred degrees. Right. And you know, like <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like right. <laughs> not a dream scenario. Yeah. yeah. So I think it was like basic training on the one hand. And then I think the other thing which uh, is interesting to note it it introduced me to a world of rock music mm. because I was still living in like 
largely like you know hip hop adjacent worlds. Yeah, so you were not exposed to punk, and you weren't exposed to all the alternative rock bands that were happening. No, yeah. I mean I I was, but I wasn't I wasn't connected to them, mm. and so I when I look back, I'm like, oh yeah, that's when I started like really listening to 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 rock music and specifically heavier music and that's i think you know there you can see a real shift between my first record and my second record uh my second record's like a rock record yeah uh, essentially and you know i i i became in the same way that i became really excited by and inspired by wordplay cadence rhythm uh when i first got into this this world of you know hip-hop in all of its incarnations this was when i had that same feeling about rock music i'm like oh you could do this with the guitar or you could do this with it you know that's really interesting like oh yeah. man this this riff a riff what the <laughs> Stuff. this is amazing <laughs> i heard later you got into like metallica because you discovered riffs and that's a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down for hours because that heavy music is uh, some of it is beyond me some of it i really relate to but i love songs so i'm sure like yourself you relate to the songs and and so yeah i'm sure the riffing was just it opened your eyes up to whole other directions that you could go musically but uh, it's funny because i was also watching uh just the other day this video of you on tour I don't know if it was like 2014. I think you were in Chicago. You do like a, a performance and the, it's like a day in the life. And I, it reminded me that like people think that touring is so glamorous. And then you go on tour, you're sleeping in that coffin. You're bumping your head. I could never sleep on those things. And I'm like, man, I always wanted to go on tour. I'm not sure this is what I thought it was going to be. Um, and I, it's funny because just to talk, go back to what you were saying with the Warped Tour, you, you did that and you're like, was it everything you thought it was going to be? Was touring, when you finally toured in that capacity, something like the Warped Tour that every artist sort of ascertains to, to do that one day, did you think it was everything you thought it would be? I think nothing is ever what I thought it would be. <laughs> Especially now, right? <laughs> um, it, when it comes to music in particular, you know, yeah. I think, and, and and I, I hope that, you know, I, tr I try to approach, I try to approach this career and this world with a lot of openness, because I think what's mm. so beautiful about music is that you get to be who you are. Yeah. And yeah. like, people, people accept you. And it's crazy that, you know, there's, People, you know, people talk about like, it's a lot of outcasts and a lot of misfits and like, yeah, there's a reason for that because it's like, it's safe to be yourself. And I, I, I feel like, yeah, all of the, yeah, all of the new experiences and new kinds of tours and whatever, I'm just, I'm approaching with almost no expectations uh, because I know that undoubtedly they will they will not be met. They may be exceeded. They may, um, I don't know, be, I may be very underwhelmed, but it's, uh, I think the most surprising thing to me about touring and you're mentioning this is, you know, how, how kind of, um, physically and emotionally taxing just the, the schlepping and the getting places and the groundhog dayness of it all that is a great be. word to describe it the schlepping yeah right. it definitely did some schlepping <laughs> <laughs> i thought if i have to set up my own drums on this this is really gonna i was suck. gonna say drummers have to schlep the most drummers <laughs> yeah. i like you know i much 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 respect well let's talk about that for a minute so you're touring constantly right and when you're a newer artist and you're out there you're hitting the pavement you're on the road 24 7 and then essentially you know a couple of years ago the world comes to a halt with this pandemic like what goes through your mind in terms of survival? Oh, well, I mean, I think my mind first goes to how do I take this period of time and be as prolific as possible mm. while still giving myself a second to like, you know, start like constructing my own crossword puzzles and like pursuing <laughs> my weird hobbies. Coffee and birds, right? <laughs> so, you know what? So the simple things in life. Yeah. So it's like, how, how can I be super prolific? How can I also like reconnect to some of the basic stuff? And 
you know, prior to the pandemic, I was in the last, like, I guess the year, year and a half before that, I had been getting involved with other projects on the writing side um, in a more concerted fashion. And so just continuing to build that out as a songwriter for others. And, you know, I, I actually strangely don't hate Zoom sessions. Uh, particularly if I already know one or two of the people involved sure. and you don't have to drive anywhere. It's, uh, yeah, you know, it's kind of sick. <laughs> I mean, you don't, you don't actually get to see anybody in person, but some people like that. I don't know, you know, it just depends yeah, who you are. Totally. Um, yeah. so yeah, I think I took it as a period, like, how can I make this next, this next project for me like that how can i make the next kfoy project great and how can i create like a visual world around it because often there's not time for that so i took the pandemic to really do that and that's like what i'm honestly i'm excited about the music of course that's coming out but i'm really excited about all the the visual companion pieces so that's really exciting um and yeah i just kind of i think in some ways continued what I was, what I was doing and had a chance to, I don't know, really, really think about and value what live performance means to me and means to me as part of, you know, I'm not in the audience at my own shows, but I'm, I'm in the experience, of course. you know? Yeah. And, and really like stepping back and taking a moment to consider, you know, my role in it and what I derive from it and what I put into it. And how can I, how can I do that better? How can I and, keep and, doing that better? Yeah. And let's talk about it for a moment. Cause now you're, you're an Interscope or an offshoot of Interscope and you've done this for a while. And obviously kind of going back to what you're saying, Kay, it's not easy financially for newer artists to survive now, right? So everything stops, the pandemic hits. Do you worry about financially when that started a year and a half ago? How am I going to survive? Because most artists make money touring, really. And so, I mean, I know that you pivoted. So I want to talk about things like Twitch. Definitely want to get into new record. I love the cover you did of Self-Esteem by The Offspring. So I actually want you to perform that. Um, they were on the show last last week. They were on the show. So it's actually a great oh. tie-in because they were my last guest for you. Oh, amazing. So, yeah. But um, but but just going back, you know, did you worry about that financially? As a newer artist, it's hard enough to make it. Now the pandemic hits, nobody can tour. And really touring is really the way that most newer artists make money and merch and things like that. So what goes through your head in terms of survival? Well, okay. So to backtrack for one sec, I was on Interscope for my last two records and actually um, parted ways with them super amicably. Uh, I had a great experience and I love everybody over there. In fact, I was just just with um, my old head of sync last night having dinner. Oh, cool. um, nice. And so now I'm, I'm on BMG and it's okay. a little bit of a different style of a deal sure. where again, I have, I have that autonomy, you know, yeah. and I think my first record I put out independently and uh, there were a lot of elements of that experience that I loved. And then I got to have like four years at Interscope. I learned all this stuff and now I was yeah. like, okay, set me free again, let the bird out of its cage. Okay. So this has been, you know, I think for me a really cool time because I have been able to be a little bit nimble mm. because I'm not in this bigger right, infrastructure. You're not part of the machine. Yeah. So I, I feel honestly extremely lucky to be flexible in that way. So, you know, I was concerned about the lack of touring and how that was going to impact my career. But, you know, I knew that I needed to make new music to do any of this to, to ever tour again yeah um so that that really became the focus um and i tried not to i tried not to go too far down the rabbit hole of what ifs and how am i gonna you know what's gonna happen and yeah. any of that stuff um and you, you know just wanted to create i just want to create and, and i've been lucky enough too that you know a lot of i have a a really good relationship 
um, you know, in the sync and licensing world. And a lot mm. of my music has, has a, had success in that world. So that's like a really great way uh, and a lucky way for me to be able to earn a living when I don't have to tour because yeah. like, you know, my song's in a TV show. Um, so that's, that's. So that helps you get through it. Definitely Big makes time. it a little bit easier with everything going on in life. And, and so now actually, so you dropped this, let, let's talk a little bit about, about the offspring cover self-esteem. Cause I actually didn't know you did it. I went back and I was stalking your Instagram for a moment and, uh, and it's great. What a great version of the song. And I love Thank what you. you wrote about kind of revisiting some of these artists, right? I don't know if Limp Biscuit was my favorite band from that <laughs> genre, but either way, Green Day, great, great bunch of guys, friends of mine. They're, they're all great. So how did you come to, you know, pick those songs to reimagine and, and, and really, uh, you know, approach them in your own way? Well, the genesis of the project came because of self-esteem by the offspring. So this was a totally not planned organic thing. I was driving uh, in Los Angeles and I heard that song and for whatever reason, I like actually listened to the lyrics. You know, I've been hearing that song in the, in the ether for years yeah. and years. 40 million records. And, but I hadn't, I hadn't really listened to the verse lyrics and I, and I did, and I was like, God, what a, what a sad song. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it got me thinking about, you know, so he here I am, I'm a, I'm a woman and I'm existing in this world of alternative rock and uh, specifically alternative rock radio, which largely plays like oldies you know, yeah. essentially. And so I'm hearing nineties music all the time. And it got me thinking about, you know, male expressions of vulnerability or emotionality mm. in the context of the sonic world of like late 90, mid to late nineties rock. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's perhaps even a bigger conversation to have about, you know, how, how young boys and girls are socialized to express themselves and, and their yeah. emotions. But I thought it would be, I just thought it would be so cool to, to do that song as a piano ballad so that people could really hear what Dexter was saying. Yeah. Um, because those, I felt like, well, man, if these lyrics are hitting me like this, surely they must they're going to hit someone else like this. Definitely. And if I, if I'm able to frame it like that, um, I wonder, I wonder what I could do. And then COVID hit and uh, one of my long-term collaborators, JT Daly and I sort of sat down and we're like, let's do an EP. Let's pick a couple songs where, you know, I can take a song that, that felt aggressive, but be lied uh, an underlying vulnerability. And so with Brain Stew by Green Day, which was uh, the, sec the second song I did for that, you know, that song's about, you know, being high on speed and can't sleep and yeah. what that feels like, yeah. uh, which is, which is terrifying. Yeah. You know, um, anytime the world's closing in on you and you feel like you're losing your mind sucks. <laughs> and <laughs> never fun don't do it kids uh but yeah for that song you know that was reframing it well hey for me when i've been at my very lowest that actually happens to be when my world opens up mm. right paradoxically yeah. yeah so how can i represent that sonically how can i make this song feel like an opening instead of a closing and then you know the real challenge as you mentioned was limp biscuit because that so that song break stuff that i covered was you know lightly my my early covid anthem yeah i read that that it sort of helped you get through covid i mean which who would have thought you know limp biscuit would have been your anthem during this pandemic and you know to, to backtrack for a sec i'm a late bloomer so i didn't listen to break stuff until like five years ago okay okay so i'm not even i don't even have that baggage <laughs> of what Limp Biscuit, like kind of represented in the zeitgeist. Yeah, because it comes with a whole nother, again, a deeper dive discussion, but it does yes. come along with something for sure. 
100%. And that's what, you know, of course, that then felt to me like, oh, this is a real challenge. Yeah. Like, if I can, if I can really, again, reframe this song, instead of it being like, you know, just like, fuck everything, I'm yeah. gonna fuck, rip your ass with a chainsaw, like, <laughs> um, <laughs> how can I maybe, how can I maybe think about this as like, Okay, these feelings of wanting to be destructive, right? They usually come because you're unhappy with yourself. You don't you don't feel good about you, and that's why you want to lash out. And maybe why you don't feel good about yourself is that you're depressed, you're hopeless. Um doesn't feel like the world is open to you. And that kind of um wistfulness I thought would be really cool to go to try to try to do and you know i had to that that cover was not a straight cover i rewrote the second verse i excluded many things i changed the chord progression i added a lot of stuff but in, in the end i felt i felt really proud of that one because it's it sparked a lot of really great conversation definitely and um yeah again we if you ever want to do a side chat about um like new metal and <laughs> and K-Play uh, and, and K-Play <laughs> I'm I'm up for it because I think there are so many like gender and power dynamic yeah. and so it's, the truth it's, is Limp Bizkit wasn't it's not that they were that bad it's just that Fred Durst the singer shot his mouth off pissed off the entire rock and roll community and then like no one wanted anything to do with the group but right. uh on that it would be actually great to hear you perform self-esteem so it'd be great to like jump to that because your interpretation song is incredible i'd love to hear you i'd love to jump to your version of self-esteem and then i want to come back and talk about four letter word the new record the ep and that whole story but let's jump now to self-esteem the k flay version and a great version and we'll be right back in a second for the sense on today and practiced all the things I would say she came over I lost my nerve I took her back and made a dessert I so came in cause I like the abuse I know she's playing with me But that's okay cause I got no self-esteem Oh Oh, yeah. 
but we're back. That was an incredible version. So thank you for that. And, of course. Uh, let's let's talk about four letter word. Okay. So this it actually just came out this past Friday, which is exciting. And um, by the way, which four letter words are we talking about? Could be love. It could be anything. I don't know. Well, I love that you say that. You know, um, I think you know explicitly we're talking about the f bomb um in this in this song but you know that that title to me was sort of interesting because of course like you know there's there's always that like tongue-in-cheek play on like love being a four-letter word and yeah (laughs) did you happen to watch this netflix show with nicholas cage the history of curse words no it's incredible you should watch it because they go deep into the history of like I mean, I can curse. It's my own shit. Whatever, fuck shit. But yeah. and and every hour is devoted to a different curse word. And by the way, I had no idea there was someone named like Mister Mrs. Fuck back then. Like, I don't know how the word, but it's like fascinating stories about words that we use every day that we just have. They they've taken on these meanings, and you have no idea the backstory. I didn't have any idea. I mean, I definitely did not know that there was a person named that years ago and where it came from. But pretty interesting show if you have like a couple of hours to, to kill but wow. um yeah. so i definitely recommend watching it but it's it's sort of a vengeful love song it's like a heavier song for you wouldn't you agree it's sort of in that vein it's moving towards a, more, a heavier sound for you 100 percent. and you know i think to me fundamentally the song is about catharsis and i've been thinking about this this notion of catharsis throughout quarantine because i think none of us have had it yeah right like there are many ways, there are many ways to achieve it, but they, they often involve getting outside the house, you know, <laughs> shouting at a live show, like these things that just haven't been accessible to us. And really this, this whole EP that's coming out and every song in it is, is me screaming, you know, it's me, me screaming something. And I feel so strongly right now that that music that gives people a a vehicle for their own catharsis is like so dope. You know, I, I I the music I was gravitating to during quarantine was and you know break stuff being one of the songs was that for me. It was right, like right. I can sing this, I can play it loud, like it's hurting my ears. And you know what? Now I can. Now I can just be like a kind citizen. I don't have to. I don't have to feel all that. And you know, how heavy did you go? By the way, I mean, was it like Slayer heavy, or would you just stop in Metallica? Because (laughs) I I tend to stop in Metallica. Like you could go really dark and deep and really heavy, and then it just it loses a sense of melody. Uh, you know, right. I know you were talking at some other podcasts about this band Cradle of Filth. I mean, even the names are just like, just stop. You know, it's like I'm fine with the. I like heavy, but I from it's always been about a sense of melody for me. So, totally. And there's, are you familiar with a, a UK band called Slaves? Uh, I am actually, yeah. Okay, so I know I'm that like, my my buddy sings for the Cult, Ian Astbury, and he loves them, so he's always okay. talking about them. So I'm like, you know, the president of their fan club, essentially, and I. Uh, you know, for me, they they are so much of what I love about like heavy music, um, because it's also fun. Yeah. And I think you know that's where a band like Metallica. No offense, I don't find Metallica that fun. It's not party rock. No. <laughs> and um, I think for me, the sweet spot and what I what I love to do and what I really hope like four letter words feels like for people is that it's heavy but it's also fun and it also has a sense of humor. And those are, those are like the crucial ingredients for me for real, for deep, deep catharsis is like, yeah. cause I even, you know, I was going through like a really hard time when I wrote that song and I, for the, for the record, some people are, cause the first line of the song is I drank a liter of tequila in my bedroom. I didn't drink a whole liter. <laughs> I'd be dead. Um, was this about your current relationship or was this about some fictitious you know yeah this i mean this is this is based in kind of the the ups and downs of of a relationship you know and it's it's i think for me a lot of songs are they combine different experience you know you combine different experiences into one thing but you know at this at this very moment i was feeling like angry Mm. and i am usually very nice and i don't (laughs) 
like to be mean, um, but I was like, I'm ready to blow. I'm a kettle and I'm ready to blow. I'm screaming. <laughs> and so would it be safe to say the EP is full of angst or is it more optimistic? I mean, what would you, cause it's not out yet. It's coming out June 11th. So I think it's pretty angsty. It is. Okay. Um, so but it was I, the pent up frustration during the pandemic that led to the angst of this new EP. Yeah. And I think the pent up frustration of living in this modern world yeah you know i I don't i think it sort of transcends like a a few of these songs or a bunch of them i started at least the demos before the quarantine so these were kind of they were developing and beginning but i think you know they're you know whatever when you're making music over a long period of time you always wanted to challenge yourself and one of the things that is uncomfortable for me is expressing anger and frustration and uh, doing it in a sort of in-your-face way. And mm. so knowing that about myself, it seemed like that might be fruitful territory to explore and it might yield something really interesting and different. And that was my mindset going into this. So I, I think all the songs have have a heaviness to them but i really do think it's a fun record like i think you can put it on and like go running and you'll probably beat your running time you know like (laughs) i i hope it has that energy it definitely does i want to jump to four letter word it's going to be great we're going to have you perform the song so we're excited for that too and then we'll come back in just a moment I drank a liter of tequila in my bedroom It's taking every ounce of power not to text you Your body frozen in my mind like a statue Wish I could scratch off all the letters of our tattoo I'm a believer but a killing in the hallway That your thoughts only gonna make my heart break While I was crying you were flying at a party Baby you played me like a Atari at an arcade I'm usually nice, but just for the night, I wanna be mean, I wanna fight. I wanna say things I've been keeping inside. Four letter words, I'm cursing. Fuck you, you didn't deserve me. back amazing so thank you for that too it's so great when artists perform on the show i love it and uh, i want to announce actually i think it actually announced a bunch of shows coming up right 2022 okay yes yes 100 so talk to me about like what's on tap for 2022 i noticed that there were shows you know that you're announced out there so how do you feel about getting out there performing now or actually well it won't be for a while but i, I feel like at that point you're going to probably feel comfortable about it right 
yeah and i've got you know we'll see i've got some shows on the books and festivals this fall and some other things this year not no headline stuff um so we'll see how hopefully if those can happen and how it feels but yeah i'm like i'm out of my mind excited you know i again uh, hearkening back like really just examining okay well yeah what is the point of a live show yeah, I kind of took it for granted because I'm just I'm I'm in it. I'm you yeah. know, show after show, tour after tour. But like what is the point? And like the point I think in many ways is to create community, of course, and to create memories because a lot of memories center on live shows, not just not even not really for me. It's for everyone else out there. Like yeah. they go on their first date they they meet at the show they in fact you know my brother met his wife at a concert Amazing. you know like so these are these are gathering more of your shows in i guess <laughs> <laughs> i mean i've had a few sorry my brother met his wife at a chromeo concert oh well i'll we say it's a k-flay concert <laughs> um but that being said many people have met at a k-flay concert yeah and gotten sure. married <laughs> um and who come back and like they're like look at the ring we did it Amazing. um well, that's got to feel good right it feels really good. Yeah. And it feels like, you know, I, I'm lucky. I have a great, a great fan base. And it's like, it's fun. The show is like, it's like wild, but it's not scary, you know? And I think that that for me is, is a great place to be in. But I've just been thinking about how do I make this experience of community? How do I help people make memories, especially when people really need to make some memories, you know, like some yeah. good ass memories. And how do I take the the musical performance to the next level? So I'm I'm kind of that I'm engaged in that right now, which is exciting because we've had this period of time when it felt like that was almost a pipe dream. So don't even start thinking about it. Definitely. So I'm just really hopeful that you know the the health technology brings us to a place where we can do it safely. We can have fun and um, well, it's starting. I mean, in LA, there are they are starting to allow concerts inside and i'm in new york now and uh hence the uh, elaborate background <laughs> and uh things are starting you know we're, it's starting to feel alive i mean I, I think we're a little bit of ways away but i feel like by i think bonnaroo was announced not long ago right so right. you know time will tell i know that they've they announced some festivals in london those got probably rescheduled to my knowledge i think maybe reading got uh, leads whichever one got rescheduled but yeah, I mean, we're almost there. And I, I think people need it. And they say after every great, you know, after every depression or pandemic, there's like a renaissance and people, you know, an artistic renaissance. So it'll be interesting to see how much art is created. And I think people are dying to have the live experience again, especially when it comes time to music, even though music is almost the last thing to come back with all this, right? Yeah. But uh, I feel like you'll probably do some shows this year with the way things are going. Don't you feel fairly optimistic about it? I am, I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Um, and I, and I really hope so because I think, yeah, I've just realized what a, what a big part of so many people's lives they are. And again, just how important as, as memory making experiences they are. And Definitely. that's like, I don't know, to me, that's just, that's really beautiful. Yeah, so June 11th, the album comes out, which is great, the EP. And you've been doing Twitch, right? Let's talk about the Twitch thing for a moment. Yeah. So live on Twitch, what, three times a week? Yeah, I'm live on Twitch Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, noon Pacific. And, you know, I'm just, I'm a month in. Um, and it's been it's been a new frontier for me. And I think, you know, we, we've been talking a lot on the stream about beginner's mind and the power of it. And, you know, mm. sort of talking about the beginning of my career it's like yeah when you're starting out you don't know what you're doing um which which can feel make you feel like an idiot on the one hand or it can make you feel like you know you are the best possible scientist like you're coming onto a new planet so you've got great questions and and i think for me i'm feeling that beginner's mind both you know the the side of like you know there's all because there's a lot of technological aspects yeah. Um, to being able to stream and, you know, I'm recording music live and tracking vocals live. And so there's a lot that's going into it, but it's, it's exciting to be live on the internet. It's different from not being live. It's different from it being able to curate it. 
Yeah, do you, have, do you have people sending you music, which you then will turn into music? Is that like the songs? Is that happening yet? Or is that something you thought about doing? Yeah, so right now what I'm doing is, it's kind of a mix. I, I'm, I'm having guests on and we're talking, just friends chatting. Um, you had Group I, Love on the show, right? Yeah, I had Hannah from Group Hannah, Love on yeah, last yeah. week. Um, and yeah, I had Bishop Briggs on, I guess, the day after that. Um, right. So I've been having some you know, some of my, my music friends on to talk. And, uh, I'm also doing crossword puzzles, which I'm obsessed with. <laughs> and, but yeah, but I've been having people sort of have been working it, which is pretty interesting is I'm having people like send little voice notes and then I'm sampling it and making like beats and tracks out of that, Awesome. which is, which is pretty cool. And again, kind of like what I did when I started, I was like, yeah. Oh, here's a sample. Okay. Well, make a song out of it taking it all back to where it started yep well this episode is one of the first ones we've done with spin magazine so hopefully we'll go live with spin magazine when we release this and maybe we could give like a little snippet of what we've done here some live songs but uh about a week or so away from that so i'm looking forward to hopefully seeing you again when we launch yeah. this with spin magazine and uh, this is great such a fascinating conversation you're great i can't wait to see you play in person uh yes and and that'll happen for sure and it'd be great to have you here in person one of these days. When I'm not in New York, I'm in LA, and we can do this again in person. So, I would I would absolutely love that. And um, yeah, thank you, Scott, so so much for having me. This was a great chat, and um, I just really appreciate it. Definitely, definitely. So June 11th, pick up the record, and I might be seeing you in a week when we launch us with Spin Magazine. Hell yeah, I love it. Okay, thanks, Kay. Okay, See you later. Soon. Bye. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Well, that was fun. Such an interesting artist, Kay Flay. She meshes all these genres, electronica, hip-hop, indie rock. She's incredible, articulate, a great lyricist. What a pleasure to have her. You know, it's great when I get to meet people that I don't know, and we vibe, and we have a great conversation. So appreciate you all tuning in. If you like the show, as always, please make sure you rate and review the show. If you can give it five stars in iTunes, that would be great. And uh, check out the show. It's free everywhere. Spotify, it comes out. Just about every Tuesday, if I can make it happen on Tuesdays, it's sort of almost like a one-man show. But I do want to thank my talent bookers, Matt and Jason, for uh, helping us out, as always, and the fine folks at Audio Up. And once again, the fine folks at Zero Bond for letting me record the episode here. Take care, and I'll see you next week soon. Hey, how'd it do, y'all? I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and Western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.